Mouthing Off is a theater, arts, and culture podcast from Bad Mouth Theater Company in St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm Amanda Forstrom. I'm Kevin Couchman. And I'm Mari Sidner. Mouthing Off features compelling interviews and discussions with creators and artists from around the Twin Cities and beyond. Tune in for something different online where you get your podcasts at badmouthtc.com and on the air in St. Paul from Frogtown Radio 94.1 FM. We hope you enjoy the show. We are back with another episode of Mouthing Off, a theater arts and culture podcast from Bad Mouth Theater Company here in St. Paul, Minnesota. Beautiful, snowy St. Paul here in March. I'm Kevin Kautzman, and I'm joined again by my partner in crime, the one who keeps the car warm while I go inside. And well, in any case, I'm joined by Amanda Forstrom. Amanda, how are you? (laughs) I'm doing good. Keeping the car warm in snowy St. Paul. Um, I didn't know if I was going to rob a bank or quick, you know, make a grocery run. But in any case, you're, yeah, we're partners in crime. They might not have anything to rob, Kevin. That's. Oh, ah, right. Yes. There's a banking crisis going on. Yeah. I don't think we'll be talking too much about that today. Uh, We have a, we have another great guest and this is, this is someone who, who you've worked with, Amanda. Yes. I'm yeah. so excited uh, to introduce Max Watanowitz, who is just one of my, I've only done one show, but he's just a wonderful actor, wonderful artist and person. And I'm so glad that he decided to join us to tell all about the amazing things that he's got going on because you guys don't want to miss him. He's out here doing it. Max. Hi. Max. Hey, welcome. Thanks for having yeah. me. Of course. Yeah, we're glad to have you. And you're an actor in the Twin Cities. I am. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the main thrust to what I do, I guess, but I dabble in other things. Yeah. Yeah. You're, I'm, I'm reading some of the notes here and you're also a, a project director of unpacking the show for spotlight education. What's tell me about this. Oh yeah. Let's start there. Okay, great. Uh, these are notes. You guys have notes. All right. Uh, yeah. So um, uh, unpacking the show is um, something that kind of came out of the pandemic a little bit. Um, let me think of how to really start this. Okay, I kind of have to go back like two projects in order to explain <laughs> this project. <laughs> so in the in the thrust of all this, um, about 10, 11 years ago now, I started um, a cabaret series called Musical Mondays, which started at Hell's Kitchen downtown and now has moved to Lush in um, Northeast Minneapolis. And basically what it is is a... Um, show tunes, you know, cabaret showcase of our musical theater community in town. So this got started because I, uh, some various reasons, but um, a friend of mine and I wanted to start sort of a showcase of the all the talent that we had in town. And it took off and folks really got um, into this cabaret vibe that we were going with. And then um, after several years of that, I kind of wanted to expand to the next step of what that could be. Um, it was a beautiful showcase and it's still going on. We just brought it back after COVID um, in December. So it's back at Lush, which is great. Um, but what came out of that was an idea that literally y'all, it's that it's that cartoony moment of like, <gasps> I sat up in bed and was like, idea. Bing. Uh, so yes, exactly, which is so <laughs> wild. And um, that idea was to 
um, sort of take the knowledge that I had accrued from hosting a show tunes, like a cabaret showcase and learning the entire canon of musical theater. I mean, I'm scratching the surface. Um, and then taking that and, and using it to promote the work that's going on at a specific theater company. So what I came up with was um, what is I'm calling sort of a TED Talk cabaret series that's called Pinspot, and that runs at Theater La Teda, also in North Minneapolis. And what I basically do there is like put together an hour long TED Talk, as it were, with visuals and slides and everything about a show that's running there and kind of do a deep dive Oh. Uh, how that musical got made, who, you know, the subject material, how it came to be, who the people were that made the musical, what their politics were, what they were trying to say with the show, all of that. And then interspersed through that is sort of some musical um, support, i.e. like a cabaret, you know, a couple singers and a pianist giving some, you know, examples of what I'm talking about, kind of. So it's really a cool, it was kind of a cool project. Um, that started in 2019, and then we got two shows done and we shut down. So I had all this musical theater knowledge, and this I was sort of becoming this, like, musical theater historian on the side because I just can't shut up about it. And I, if you could see my bookshelf right now, you'd laugh because it's ridiculously full of those kinds of books. <laughs> and um, I had been working with Spotlight Education, which for your listeners is the education arm of the Hennepin Theater Trust downtown. Um, and in the summer of 2020, after George Floyd's murder and everything that was going on with the world shutting down and the, the civil and cultural unrest in our city, um, it just really became clear that the educational folks there wanted to meet that moment and find a way to um, respond. And so after some conversations with them, basically what became clear was students wanted to find a way to um, communicate to their educators and their directors at the high school level that there's harm going on, that there's, um, and that we should be working towards reducing the potential for harm. And educators were saying, I don't know how to meet this moment. I want to make sure that I'm doing right, but I'm nervous to make a mistake. How do we, you know, what do we do? So I was thinking in my dramaturg, musical theater historian brain, if we just put more information in people's hands, maybe we can work this out and maybe we can help reduce this potential for harm. And so what came out of that was, it's called Unpacking the Show. And basically, my job in in the project is to um, create sort of resource guides for uh, a high school doing a musical and saying, okay, so you're gonna do Grease. Awesome. Let's talk about these people who made this play. Let's talk about the 1970s when this play came out. Let's talk about the 1950s when it's, you know, which it's talking about. And let's talk about like sexual violence. Let's talk about consent. Let's talk about all of these um, ideas in the show that come up and let's find a way to um, bring them into the room in a safe way that makes everyone in the room feel valued and seen and heard. And um, so that project began in the summer of 2020. And now um, we're looping in sort of dramaturgy and giving the information about what the show is. And then sort of current EDI practices, equity, diversity, inclusion, access, as well as trying to equip some of these high school educators with 
access to a database of fight choreographers, intimacy directors, um, you know, all these kinds of consultants that can make um, that experience in high school uh, more wonderful for everyone. So that's what that project is. That is heavy. There's so much there. There's, there's, there's so to much unpack. to unpack, unpack. indeed. Yes, yeah, exactly. yeah. I like this. I like this though. I do admire it because we're we're in a time where uh, to simply leave this lie and to not address uh, yeah. all of this is just simply going to lead to pandemonium. And, and it's going to hurt the theater if yeah. you don't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, at, at the high school level, that is when so many people, myself included, really. I mean, I, I, I started doing plays, you know, when I was a little kid, but I started sort of having professional aspirations when I was in high school. And I think um, there's just... <laughs> I, I just think there's so many ways to make it a really exciting experience that that includes everyone that that you know um we were talking today i i i got an intern i got a student intern on this project who's a sophomore who's like one of the smartest people i've ever met and every month we get together and talk about a show it's incredible but um today we were talking about um mama mia which okay mama mia right like abba ABBA, right? Like the songs <laughs> of ABBA, everybody loves it. And every high school in America is doing it, which is great. And there's lots to love. But I think what's happening is, you know, um, parents are coming to their high school that want to do Mamma Mia. And they're saying, what are you going to put my daughter in? What are you going to make her wear on stage? Are you going to put my daughter in a bathing suit? Right? So like immediately there's concerns about costume. There's concerns about um, body, especially women's bodies. That's what really comes up a lot in this. And then today, what we got talking about wildly was like touch and consent of touch. At the professional level now, there's sort of a sense of like an intimacy director, um, someone who's going to work through, you know, um, touch and physical intimacy and kiss and whatever it might be. All of that is sort of standard now for professionals, right? But like at the high school level, it's still a teacher saying, okay, now you two figure it out, right? Yeah, right. And it, mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. alarming. And and that's to say nothing of just zooming out a little bit and saying, okay, you two freshmen, we're going to do some partner dancing. So you grab her waist and you hold his shoulder, right? Like we don't set up any, I mean, hopefully we're starting to get a little more in this world of like, let's set up some boundaries. Let's talk about physical intimacy. And I really think, um, you know, not being able to talk about touch, not being able to talk about physical boundaries and body safety is what is leading to sort of this epidemic of violence against women, violence against, violence against bodies, sexual violence, sexual assault, right? And not to get too heavy and or to put too fine a point on it, but I think if we could talk about that a little earlier, and start at in the high school production of The Music Man and find, give kids a language around, okay, let's talk about safe touch. Let's talk about where it's safe to touch. Let's talk about boundaries. Let's talk about changing boundaries. Let's talk about all of this. Um, then you're equipping kids to be able to get some autonomy for themselves or advocate for themselves in a way. And that's just one small example of something that can affect a kid's experience in a high school production right like i'm uh, that's a that's a big piece of of what we're working on yeah yeah and uh just for our listeners can you break down a little bit what an intimacy 
uh, coordinator or intimacy director does, just because that's sort of, I mean, I would say in the last, what, five years, pretty new phenomenon, even in the professional world. So it's a very new, it's a very new piece of it. And I'm really glad it's come about. Um, I would say predating that it's, it's more, um, more standard to have like a fight choreographer. So if in your show there's sword fighting or there's gun violence or there's um, hand-to-hand combat or something, you have a specific person who comes in and who is trained to choreograph like a choreographer would choreograph dancing, um, choreograph violence so that it's safe, so that it's the same every time, so that um, it looks real, but is perfectly safe to be doing. Intimacy direction has really taken off, as Amanda said, in the last five years, I'd say only. And uh, it's becoming standard now to hire a specific person who is coming in to, in the way that you would choreograph dance or fights or violence, you also would choreograph intimacy. So if there's an onstage kiss or if there's a struggle with intimacy or if there's um, anything in having to do with body intimacy together. Um, this is becoming also really, um, really standard in film now as well, film Mm -hmm. and TV, thankfully. Um, and, uh, it's a, it's a huge piece of what we do, but of course it's becoming a huge piece of what we do at the professional level, but a high school doesn't always have the resources to do this kind of thing, right? Like that's a big part of what unpacking the show is trying to also do is sort of level the playing field between, you know, a program that is that has hundreds of thousands of dollars in their bank account and they have an MFA and from Yale drama directing their kids and they have classes at the school, right? So everyone is has sort of an assumed knowledge versus like a rural high school, like where I went to high school, where an English teacher is directing the plays, right? <laughs> right, um, right. And mm-hmm. my English teacher did a great job. Uh, but when I had to kiss my castmate in Hello Dolly, she told us, go into the other room and figure it out, right? There was no, there was no sense of that. And that was 20 years ago, so of course. Um, I have to ask, where was this rural high school? Where this where, was? Where? Um, I went to Sock Rapids Rice High School. Go Storm! Um, this is uh, about an hour and a half north of Twin Cities, uh, right. North Cloud. Yeah. Okay. You, you were saying? Um, yeah. So so um, so we're so I'm just hoping like giving access to resources, to information, to consultants, to to the research about a show, about what it might mean, and, and engaging critically with that material. Um, a high school English teacher who's teaching two or three or four or five classes and a study hall and coaches something else and has a family at home doesn't have time to do all of that, right? And doesn't have time to go in and research and do this stuff and look up an intimacy coach and try and find all that stuff or even know what all of that is. So, um, so I guess what I'm saying is like a student who goes to a school like that has just as much right to have a positive experience and be safe as does a student at a really wealthy suburban school that has, you know, resources and personnel. Interlock uh, in School of the Arts. Yeah. Exactly. exactly sure. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, very cool. Fascinating work. And mm. probably also preparing, uh, you know, some of these students or who knows, a shot at a career. It happens. You're doing it. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, Amanda. Where can people uh, go to learn more about that? Unpacking the show and about. Yeah. So, so unpacking the show has been in progress for 
um, coming on three years now. <laughs> three years now, but all through, it was great because of course the first thing that I had to do was like research all these shows and start to develop some, you know, a, a bank of research basically. So suddenly I created this program that, that Spotlight said, cool, we'll get you on a contract. Let's get you working hourly. Let's get an invoice, all of this stuff. So all through the height of the pandemic of lockdown, I was sitting in this basement reading a bunch of musical theater histories and digging in and trying to do all this research about all these shows. So this program is being slowly rolled out over the next several years in Minnesota high schools. And so I'm not sure, I I think if it's not already there, it's gonna be there soon on the Henneman Theater Trust Spotlight Education website. Um, but mostly what it's gonna be is like a like an educator portal where they can access these resources, right? They can access a study guide about Little Shop of Horrors and get some, you know, um, further reading and, you know, excess uh, of personnel and, and resources and things like that. So, so right now that's where it lives. Um, that's what I know. And I don't know, one day I'll turn it into a book or something. I don't know. I don't really know. You know I'm who, hoping that eventually yeah. Spotlight can like set this program on fire and then every theater, every, you know, state in the country that has a program like Spotlight Education, which many states do, could have access to these resources as well. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm really hoping. Is that a good thing? Sure. I think that's brilliant. Is is it set up as its own uh, not-for-profit? Is it like a discrete entity that you're directing-ish? That's an incredible <laughs> question. I know my contract says what it is. You know, okay. it, um, it, it, no, it, um, the idea is that that um, a spotlight affiliated school and not every high school in uh, Minnesota is, but if you are a spotlight affiliated school, you would just automatically with your membership have access to these resources. I right? see. Okay. That's the idea. And so hopefully, and, and there's systems like this in many other States, as I say, mm. and so mm. hopefully uh, they could set up a system of their own. I could see this being a successful book. If I'm a theater educator in high schools and I'm looking for kind of the latest way of thinking about this stuff and resources, that could be really valuable. Not to get too personal, but my my mother uh, sort of, she's she's since passed, but uh, she was teaching English in, high, in a little high school in New Salem, North Dakota mm -hmm. and writing her own little plays. She would have loved this. She oh, would have yeah. eaten this up. And that's a huge market. Uh, needless to say, I mean, you don't want to think about it as a market necessarily, but it is. Yeah. I mean, no, it, yeah. I mean, it absolutely yeah. is, and and you yeah. sort of do have to think about it that way. I mean, y'all right. run a theater company; you have to think about your audience, right? You have to think about what your audience wants and needs, right? Mm -hmm. And that was where this kind of came out of was we were responding to conversations we were having with, and by we I mean Spotlight Education was having with like a of Zoom full of students just to talk about like, how do we meet this moment? What are you thinking about, you know? Um, and what came out of that was like, I have been discriminated against at my school. I've been marginalized in my cast, you know? I am, they always have me play this character. They always, you know, they always cast me as the villain because I'm the one person of color or we did a production of The Wiz with all white people, you know, that kind of thing that we are learning. And it's not to say every educator is making huge mistakes, but there's always the potential for harm. And our job as adults in, char in charge of those young people is to do everything we can to reduce the potential for that harm. 
I want to, uh, this is fascinating work. And we're going to put a link to your website in the show notes, which are at badmouthtc.com. Get over there. Check out our new season. We got he, we got to think about our audience, don't we, Max? We're on oh, yes. the old, old timey radio. Yes. So come and come on down to Waldman Brewery. Check out one of our readings. We got a live podcast event coming up. We got stuff going on from March until June, including our first production at Bad Mouth at Phoenix Theater, Minneapolis, Sean Raycraft's One Good Marriage. It's going to be a bang up time. Max, I hope you can make it. Uh, we got to, yeah, I'm please. Look up the date. A, yeah, very cool play. I'm directing. Uh, hey. I fear I will be the intimacy coordinator uh, on on this production. Um, I got some resources for you. Uh, that's perfect. I probably need them. Yes, very good. <laughs> you know, um, and so I wanted to just change tack slightly to the other piece that you mentioned, setting up the conversation about uh, unpacking the show. Uh, you mentioned this pin spot concept, and that that really triggers a lot of buttons for me. Um, mm. the, the the live podcast event I, I mentioned is uh, for this other podcast I do called Art of Darkness, and we do uh, biographical profiles of dead artists. Uh, and sometimes the episodes go on for six hours, uh, but we're going to do a live, our first live recording, and then we're going to have a little theatrical event after. We're going to read Winter Dreams, like a, an adaptation of that. It's a short story from F. Scott Fitzgerald. So we're, my co-host is, is flying into town, we're going to do that at Waldman Brewery in June. Uh, and the, the, this, this pin spot concept you mentioned immediately reminded me of, of Art of Darkness. Have you thought about turning pin spot into a podcast or does it, it have to be? Yeah, it has been discussed, but I can't let this go by. I'm sorry. You're going to do a, you're going to do a reading of a story called Winter Dreams. Yeah. In June. <laughs> Ah, come on, man! <laughs> really? I, like June, it, the snow will maybe have just melted. We will. It's all called be dreaming of winter. It's called winter dreams, my friend. I you don't want to stage that in December, no. But it's yeah. it's a it's a beautiful Fitzgerald Fitzgerald short story set right here in the Twin Cities, and uh, it's it's lovely. So, um, yeah, come on down. Yeah, you know, I I have thought about um, ways to expand the reach of of this series. Uh, um, you know, it's something that I pitched to a couple theaters around town that focus on musical theater. Um, I feel like, you know, it's the concept is something that you could do about any play if you wanted, you know. Mm -hmm. um, oh, yeah. But my whole, my, my sort of, my hallway that I go down is musical theater every time. So, um, so I wanted to add in this musical element and, um, and, and base it in that world. So, so I, I pitched it to a bunch of places around town and La Teda is kind of the one that bit, but I do think it's something that now that I've done, you know, I did a hour long, um, lecture with cabaret elements about Chicago. So if someone else in the country is doing Chicago and they want this event, pay me a fee, I'll bring some singers and a pianist and give me a setup, you know, a little, a little projector screen and an audience and I'll talk for an hour. No problem. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping it can kind of expand into that. Uh, we'll see. I don't know. There's, it's a, it's a niche market. Um, mm. but the people who show up, this is kind of the thing too, for a while I was like, Oh, I wish the audiences were bigger. Um, but they, you know, I do it at the Ritz theater in Northeast where La Tida calls its home and you know, you get a hundred, 120 people there and it feels kind of full, but at the same time, I'm just thinking, yeah, this room isn't packed full, but 
the people who are here are here because they're nerds like me. <laughs> they want to know all this information, right? Um, you, you find your I, people. Listen, I mean, if you're getting a draw like that in Minneapolis for this, yeah. it just le it leads me to believe, and I'm not going to turn this into a production meeting, but yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm, pi I'm podcast crazy, and I'm not a huge uh, musical theater guy. I, I respect it. I, I love the enthusiasm people have for it. One day I may even try to write a musical. I'm mostly a... Uh, Okay. All right. I have I have some ideas. They're a little far out. They're a little far out, but but that's what that's what we're all about. Um, but uh, I mean that that's a that's a podcast I would listen to. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, you know, just something to think about there. Yeah, Very yeah, yeah. I know. Mm -hmm. And and there's a couple. There's actually a podcast that I love called Broadway Backstory, which is the original title of what I wanted this to be called because I think oh, no. Broadway Backstory tells you exactly what you're getting, right? Right. Um, right. So we'll see. I, I wrote to the people, Broadway Backstory is no longer in production. I wrote to them and said, hey, are you still using this title? Because I love it and I want to use it myself. And I never heard back. So part of me is like, I don't know, come for me if you want. Whatever, I tried to reach It's the revival. You it's know, the, exactly. every good the, musical the needs a good reprise. Listen mm. now, hold on. Oh, a <laughs> reprise in the show, yes. A sequel, no. If I were to do an entire pin spot on Broadway sequels. Let's talk about the 1981 sequel to Bye Bye Birdie called Bring Back Birdie, which folded after four performances. Y'all, let's not let's not do sequels. Bad. We bad, did bad. no sequels. That is such an interesting point. Yeah, there's no. Is there a single sequel there's, to? Um, there, yeah. Oh, there's. Oh, you got a couple. I mean, Best Little Whorehouse in Texas was a huge hit in the late 70s. In 1994, they're like, let's do it again. Except this time, the Best Little Whorehouse goes public. It ran like four performances. It was a total failure. Um, for some reason, you know, I don't know what it is about cinema versus the stage, but cinema can do a sequel. I mean, if the money's there, go for it, right? But for some reason, a musical... A musical needs something, needs a more of a reason to exist. Otherwise, you can't ask people to do it eight times a week. It just doesn't, and, you know, and I think that's maybe the difference. And when they collide, musical and cinema, you get Grease too. There's there's Grease too. That's a great example. There's the incredible story of trying to make a, a, a sequel out of Annie. Um, Annie 2, Miss Hannigan's Revenge. That was the real title. And it was so wretched that people screamed out of there. But then they tried to fix it and made it Annie Warbucks, which actually went okay. And I've seen a production of Annie Warbucks and it was okay, but you know, still you kind of go hoping it's going to be Annie and it's not, it's always going to be that. You're just not going to, the musicals are too ethereal and fantastic. Like they're all based in a Fantasia where people can burst into song. So you just can't, you can't recreate that magic every time. I feel like what I really need now is a musical review of all the best songs from these like terrible sequels can we can we have that night at that would Lush? be a fun can we do theater. listen i will bring a broadway backstory that's actually listen all right now listen hold on this is now i've got now i'm now I'm <laughs> now it's a production because, meeting because yes. lush on a monday you know we do our musical mondays once a month but we're talking about some other programming and that's an idea this is a great idea it's like the broadway backstory give you the like let's do a show about all <laughs> give the songs <laughs> Get the songs from Annie to Miss Hannigan's Revenge. Get Bring Back Birdie in there. Get them all. I like this. I like this plan a lot. This yes. is good. Yeah.
It's not that I would go see that. I, this, you know, if you came out and explained a little bit of the backstory, of, yeah, 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 we're gonna get crowds of fives, of tens of people. At, <laughs> well, you have two from this podcast, two from, bad mouth, two from this bad mouth theater company. It'll be excellent. That's absolutely. Yeah, I gotta ask Max, all-time favorite musical. Do you have you one? Can't, that, that, yeah, you it's not fair. You it's not fair. It's like okay. it's like giving me a bucket of puppies and saying, "Okay, now pick the one." Right? Like you can't you can't pick one. Um, if I if I'm really at gunpoint on that one, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, oh. I'm gonna say I'm just gonna say Sunday in the Park with George, mm. um, 1984. Stephen Sondheim. It's a show about art and family and parents and children and love, and I love it so much. I'll never I'll never say boo. I think it cannot be improved. Mm. Have you have you seen the the latest production or have you been in it? I uh, I I have been in it um, once and thank God because if I hadn't I would have burned the whole city to the ground. <laughs> um, no, uh, uh, and I've seen uh, one or two productions of it. Um, I love you know the original Broadway with uh, the original Broadway production with Mandy Patinkin and Bernadette Peters mm. was filmed for PBS and so luckily we have that lovely thing and you can mm. probably look it up on youtube the whole thing would be sitting there for you yeah there are so many resources for people who are interested in theater it's never the same as being there but this is something that i've leveraged and discovered as a playwright because people will tap me on the shoulder sometimes and will say i don't go to the theater i'm i, I don't live somewhere where i can get you know the theater but I, maybe i want to try you know writing a play and i always tell them well you got to go and act even a, a, like a community i started acting and i'm not an actor but i i started acting at a little community theater class in north minneapolis right at the very right when i was thinking oh i think i want to be a playwright uh but then i'll also make them a list of like the some you know the here are 10 film adaptations of plays that are that are worth watching oh, and yeah. Mm, you know, and you can get into the Criterion Collection. You can go online, and there are these more obscure. Like there's a there's a perfectly uh, passable film version of Equus. Uh, you know, oh, yeah, the right. yeah yeah the other Peter Schaefer masterpiece. Okay. Uh, but you kind of got to go out of your way to to find it. But yeah, very cool. Yeah, like I, I I don't I don't even hate just the straight ahead, not rendered kind of as cinema. But like we're just going to look at this production. Maybe we've got three cameras. You know, if it holds yeah. together, it holds together. I mean, for right. for those of us who are really into it, Amanda. Yeah, the New York Public Library, I think, has everything. And so you can go and you can rent anything that was on Broadway, um, and I think, or maybe off-Broadway, too. You, I, I went there for the first time in the fall. I took a solo trip to New York and saw a bunch of shows, went to the New York Public Library, went up to their archives. And you need to have, like a reason to be there and i don't know if it's a rentable situation i think you know it's like they have a little theater there so you take your thing and you go you screen them yep you, you can't take them, them out of the and if I had, oh yeah yep. and i so i went up to the, there for days yeah i took the elevator up to the, i was literally just wandering around like don't know where anything is and i wandered up to the that floor and i walk up and there's like glass walls hiding all you know like covering all of it and then a lady at a desk and she's like hi i'm like hi Oh, I said, is this the archives? Am I not supposed to be here? She said, uh, <laughs> she was so kind. She's like, yeah, you, you know, you just need a, you just need a, a reason. You know, you need a, you need sort of a valid reason to be here. And I was like, okay, that's great. Thank you. I just wanted to take a peek. I'm just visiting. So I, I got back in the elevator and I said, 
oh my God, I have a thousand legitimate reasons. Why don't I just go back up there? But of course I was, next time I will go there. Next time which, I will watch uh, which, something. Which branch of the library is it? Is it the, the main branch in? It's, so uh, the, mm. so New York Public Library at uh, at uh, Lincoln Center. So it's okay. up you ah. know, on one side mm -hmm. of the, on the, sure. on the west side. And yeah. West Side, and so um, so there's just a beautiful performing arts library there, and uh, just wandering around, I was like, oh my god, it's every score to every musical, every play script, every um, opera score, every you know oratorio, whatever, everything. Is Incredible, um, mm. in, uh, unbelievable, yeah, unbelievable resource. I love things like that, uh, and of course, you uh, you're an actor, a working actor, you have. Uh, a couple of shows coming up at a little theater. Uh, it's a kind of, it's a little obscure theater called the Guthrie. Yes. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe you've heard about it. Weird yeah. blue building they have, they put downtown. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. We just started, uh, I just finished my first week of rehearsal for Hamlet there. Um, a little play that, you know, it's old, old play. Um, and mm. so we just started that and then, uh, and that runs April, May, and then I'll be in Into the Woods there as well this summer. So, <laughs> Right back to back. What role are you playing in uh, that play in Hamlet? In, Hamlet? Mm -hmm. in both. Uh, mm. Okay. Well, how? I, I, whenever someone asks me who I'm playing in Hamlet, I have to ask how well you know Hamlet. Not to shame anyone here. Oh no! I I yes, pretty well. Only, only because my role is small, and so it's not like I'm playing someone that a passerby of Hamlet would really know. I'm playing Osric. Yes. Who comes in at the end? Yes, right. He uh -huh. literally does not uh -huh. speak until Act Five. Uh huh. <laughs> so, That's hey, you can just chill in the back. I'm just so happy to be there, but I do not have a lot of text, which is just fine. I'm just happy to be in that room with those remarkable actors. We have this wonderful uh, actor named Michael Brower uh, um, playing Hamlet, and like just to watch him work it through and figure it out and and wrestle with this role is like a just a joy it's a treat mm. it really yeah. is i feel like uh when you when you can be on those sorts of shows and just watch people just wrestle with it yeah. uh with this art it's just so i i feel like that's almost more enjoyable than performing it absolutely times. and and I, I i keep like every day i drive there and i'm like when in your life are you going to do hamlet again you mm -hmm. know like people do hamlet but like when am i going to have this opportunity that not only is it a you know this production at this theater but also i i have i have a little to do but most of my time can be spent just sitting there watching and like unpacking this play for myself and trying to like educate myself on this play in this way um I, i've never done the play before and i've read it in high school maybe you know and i know it from various things but like just to have this sort of you know course in this play and to be able to watch all these great actors work it through is going to be it's already really thrilling it's exciting well and there are uh, strong film adaptations of of hamlet obviously if you're in town you should go and see hamlet with our friend max at the guthrie that. you really should but the the brana production i remember mm. that being that one is the one i watched mm -hmm. ahead of rehearsals and everybody has a lot of opinions about all of these adaptations. Mm -hmm. uh, I was just happy to watch the, mostly I wanted to watch the Brana one because uh, 
the Kenneth Branagh Hamlet from like 1996 or something is notoriously over four hours long, just over four hours long, and does and says every word in the play. It is a very long play, and they do not cut anything. Our production will not be that long, <laughs> not nearly. It'll be two and a half hours, I think, um, which is you know still long, but it's a little more sittable than four hours. But I wanted to see that because I wanted to hear all of it. You know, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. every other version has cut something. Right. And now, you're entering oh sorry Kevin, you're entering the um the leaving uh, musical theater nerddom for Shakespeare nerddom and it's a serious it's a very serious place. So these I think are, <laughs> yes. These are niche hallways that I'm going down and no, not a lot of people inhabit these places, but I'm thrilled to be there. Do you want to ask the the Oxfordian versus Stratford Stratfordian question? Yeah. What this is what, quite serious. What is, that? what is this question? Do I, should I give a primer? You asked, Amanda. No, go ahead, Kevin. No, there's a, there's a raging debate. Some would say that there is no debate at all. Uh, but there are theories uh, that uh, Shakespeare was a coalition of writers, not one man. There's a, there's a theory that it was Edward de Vere, I think, is and Shakespeare was a pen name. Uh, it's it's a bit of a hot button issue. Different factions uh, sort of all like politically have kind of adopted different attitudes. It's a very online thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, I, I, I know I'm always talking about Art of Darkness on this podcast, but I'm going to mention it again. Next year, we're going to do that podcast and we're going to I'm going to prep from the Stratfordian perspective, the biography of, of Shakespeare. And then my co-host is going to prep from the Oxfordian perspective. And we're going to do two different episodes covering both sides of the debate. But it sounds like maybe you don't, you, you don't have a side. You're just sort of like, okay, Shakespeare was Shakespeare. I don't know. Yeah. Max, I want you to go into the rehearsal room the next time <laughs> oh, and just no. pose this to pose this out there and just watch the room erupt. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, oh. I I I already sometimes feel like I'm moments away from being recast. So part of me doesn't <laughs> want to do that. Although although it, it did come up in table work at some point hmm. that like Hamlet is, you know, very liberally taken from this other, you know, this other um legend or whatever, or this other play, right? And of course we all know that Shakespeare had to have stolen liberally from others. And so uh, but we have not come down on a side of that, and now I'm I'm gonna have to just whisper that into the air and see mm. what it poisons. Mm. Oh goodness, my goodness! Why well, I want to ask you because you mentioned right your in the li- ear, right in the, in the ear. yeah, right in the ear, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's not supposed to be here until the fifth act. What's he doing? Here? <laughs> I don't know anything about it unless Osric does. I don't right. Know. Right, right. Well, all. I don't know. Do you, you know, you mentioned living with this play in a way that, uh, short of, you know, acting at a play, you'll never experience or participating in the creation of a play, uh, and and not very many people will be in a in a serious professional production of Hamlet. So I have to ask, uh, have you pulled any insights into the the play f- thus far? Is you it know, too early days yet, or? Oh man, I mean, early days. What can I say? I, you know, I don't, I certainly do not claim to be any kind of Shakespeare expert. I, and sometimes I joke that like, I, I can do Shakespeare on that stage cause I'm tall and I'm loud. Um, and that's mm. kind of the yep. end. But I, although I know that that's not necessarily true. Um, <clears throat> although I am tall and loud, but, uh, 
Um, I, I think what I'm seeing is just like there's so that that it that the play sort of wrestles with so many so many complex questions that it's remarkable to just consider that it was written over 400 years ago mm. um, and it it sort of wrestles with the most human of questions which is like what are we doing here why do we even bother if we just know that we're gonna we're all gonna die and we're all gonna end up in the grave right so so some of that is you know super heavy and super difficult and there's so much joy in the play like i don't know our our director is saying a lot about um all of this has to, this is a play about love. It's a play about family and connection and joy. And what happens when all of that gets taken, you know, gets ripped away. And so I just love that we're sort of starting from a place of this is a play about love instead of this is a play about doom and death and destruction and revenge and terror, you know. Um, and that so, one speech. Yeah, yeah, hmm. right, exactly. So so I'm. I guess I'm a. Pre that's that's my takeaway of this first week. I think is is coming at it from that vantage point. I think it's going to help us tell the story a lot more clearly and a lot more interestingly than it would to just start with doom. You know. Mm -hmm. Um. So two questions. When's the last time you were in a Shakespeare show? How long has it been? And then who are you playing in Into the Woods? The last time I was in a Shakespeare show actually was also at the Guthrie four years ago, four years ago, I was in a production of As You Like It, which Aww. is way happier and way more lovely um, to be in. And I was playing Love, Lauren Sylvius uh, and <clears throat> another, you know, um, snooty middle, middle management guy, LeBeau. Um, and Osric sort of <laughs> has some LeBeau-like tendencies, also sort of in middle management, which I can really get behind. So that's the last time. Um, and in Into the Woods, I'm playing the steward, who is also in middle management, just follows the Cinderella's prince around and does all of his bidding. So, uh, and uh, yeah, it's kind of, I don't know. I don't know what it says about me that I keep getting cast as these like, these sort of servants or like middle management people with opinions about stuff. Right. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take and it. and you yeah. were one of the most opinionated servants because you just played Lumiere. Uh, in Beauty and the Beast at the Ordway. So and Wadsworth in Clue with you. And Wadsworth in Clue with me. What is happening? <laughs> what what track am I on right now? Oh my God, you're right. I had not I, thought about that, Amanda. That's tripping me out. You're right. I keep playing I keep I keep playing servants. That's wild. Hmm. Interesting. In castles even. In castles. <laughs> I mean, I mean I, well, yeah. you know, in well. Clue it's kind of a it's a manor. It's a castle, right? Yeah. But for sure, the beast is a castle, Hamlet, Elsinore, right? Into the woods, Cinderella's palace, Cinderella's, you know, oh, what? that's wild. Well, this is good because, you know, you can play to your play to your strengths, but you also are going to have to. I don't know. I'm not going to tell you how to do your career. It sounds like you're I'll take you're it, in right? demand. You're yeah. you're yeah, working actor. That's fantastic. Well, you and you two were in this this production of Clue together. Tell me a little we bit about were. this. Mm -hmm. We were and we had yeah. a great time. It was just so fun. It was yeah. awesome. It was really fun. And I have to say, if you missed Max Watanowitz's Wadsworth, I don't know if you'll find another quite <laughs> like it. It was just uh, so well, and that okay, so that was a great example of for me watching you work 
you know, I had read Clue and seen the movie, but it had been years. And so, you know, revisiting it, but then also with all new people, because I had just moved back to Minnesota and watching you and, and after the pandemic and all of this and being in person and watching you wrestle and do literally wrestle yourself during the end monologue, which is absolutely hilarious. You were fantastic. I couldn't keep it together. As Max will tell you in rehearsal, I, I was always, I'm, I'm probably the easiest one on stage to break at all times. I'm um, not saying anything, <laughs> but it was just magic watching you, watching you work and parse out those moments and, and impressions of the other characters that we had built over a period of what, two weeks. It was just wild, but it was so, it was so fun. So Cheers to cheers to more. And like, hopefully I can join you in middle management at a castle. Wouldn't that be great? Let's do it. I would love that. Well, thanks. Mm. That's really kind, Amanda. I appreciate it. It was really yeah. a lovely, a lovely experience. And I love that. I love that movie. And I just worship the ground that Tim Curry wa- walks on. So I was just like, let's, let's have a silly fun party in the Northern Minnesota woods and be idiots. And we were, and it was so fun. Right. And then coming back from, uh, from pandemic and everything and just a night in the theater where you get to, you get to laugh and make people yeah. laugh. How Clue fun. is being done everywhere in the country right now. And it's because people <laughs> want to, they want to laugh. They just want to enjoy themselves. That's why I'm like, Oh, our Hamlet can't be too sad. We have mm. to, Osric is the funny one. He comes in yes. <laughs> before the end. So we just got, we got to laugh. We got to laugh to keep from crying, you know, and mm. it's, it's a comedy as well. But of course that, gets dark as quickly too. So I don't know, you gotta, I always say you gotta get people in the palm of your hand with the comedy. You gotta get them there and make them feel safe. And then you can bring in the, the heavy stuff. You can't, um, They're not my favorite, my favorite comedies have at least a, a fairly plausible dramatic plot. Yeah. And my favorite uh, dramas have comedy. Yeah. Uh, it's, it can't be all or nothing. Yeah. Yeah. You have to leaven it. There's room for the occasional play like Sarah Kane's Blasted. We can do that once in a while. Sure. <laughs> but not, you know, but sometimes I just want to go see the play that falls apart or Clue yes. and come home and and say they were so good in that. Wasn't yeah. that fun? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and Max, you've been you went straight into theater out of out of high school. Did you do you go and study yeah. theater at university? Well, you know, I, 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 as I say, I grew up north of the Twin Cities, um, and I, I grew up on a potato farm, uh, my on a fourth generation potato farm that's still in our family. Hmm. Um, my dad did not finish high school, um, and my mom and he ran our farm for forty years, and I just had no sense. I mean, I there was a there was a community theater in my town. And I did plays in my basement and then my mom took me to an audition and then the rest is history. But, but I didn't know any beyond like the lady who ran our community theater. I didn't know anybody who made a living doing theater, Mm -hmm. certainly not an actor. Right. Um, And so I just had no sense of that. And so my family and my parents being such pragmatic people who, you know, work on a farm with their hands with the earth, you know, wanted me to go into something that, would um that i could count on that i knew could be a thing right and and i didn't know any actors but i knew a lot of teachers so i said i'm gonna go be a teacher that'll really work Mm, so then i so then i go to college and i get there and um and my parents drive away and i'm like this is my Uh. (laughs) (laughs) And 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 for two seconds i was gonna be a music 
a vocal music performance and an English ed major. And that, uh, that lasted two days. And then I thought, actually, what I want to do is theater and I'm, I'm going to do it. And, Switching majors. And I switched. And so I switched. So Right there with you, buddy. I love it. Yeah, where where know, was this? What, 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 where was this? What college? This was at St. Olaf College. Okay. He's part All of right. the St. Olaf Mafia. Uh-huh, of the, yeah, there's a mafia. Oh, God. When I, when I was out east, it was all the Yaleys. And apparently oh. I'm up against the, the I don't know. yeah, I'm up against the, what are this? What's the St. Olaf? The Olies? Yeah, the <laughs> Olies. Um, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. Okay. All and, right. And I, I honestly never saw the Golden Girls until I got started meeting, I met and got started dating my husband. But everybody would tell me, oh, Rosen Island. Oh, the Golden Girls. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what it's that is. It's so good. The of Golden course, Girls now is I understand. so good. Oh my and god! And of course, the fictional town of Saint Olaf has nothing to do with Saint Olaf College, but here we are. Right. Right. <laughs> Tremendous. But I got to, but I got to college and 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 wanted to do theater, and because I'm, and because I was a closeted gay child who just desperately wanted people to approve of me, and not look at, and look over here instead of at my at my. Flounciness. Um, I was desperate to work really hard, and um, and I had a professor tell us in acting class one day, people will think you're in theater because you can't do anything else. And I remember being so struck by that and so just livid and went back to my dorm with my friend and we were like, we're doing theater because we're smart and we're doing it because we're smart. And like all of that, you know, and just went on. And with this course that what she meant to do was to inspire us to like work hard. Right. And to, and to prove that you, it takes someone, it takes sensitivity and creativity and, and smarts to be in this art form. And I think really what she was trying to say was like, if you're not that interested, don't do this. Cause it's mm-hmm. probably not, gonna pay the dividends you're hoping for so so then i you know yes so then i graduated from there and moved up to the twin cities shortly after and and i've been working you know in one way or another um pretty consistently since Hmm. that's fantastic so i i kind of can relate to that because i also grew up in a rural area about two and a half hours west of minneapolis st paul and i thought the same thing you know I, i i had sort of gone to a, um, I went to St. Ben's and nobody else in my high school had went there. So I had to, you know, sort of make all new friends. And a lot of the first people I became friends with were from the theater backgrounds and in the, th- the theater kids. And um, I just, you know, we just hit it off right away. And they're like, hey, why don't you audition for this one show? And I was like, okay, yeah, that'd be kind of fun. I did a play in high school, you know, on a stage in a gym with the yeah. lights on, lights off and the, you know, the big blue curtains. Oh, yeah. Sure. And, but I think it had never quite occurred to me until my mentor, who is an amazing woman who you also know named Karen Johnston, shout out to Karen. She's just lovely. Um, You know, really explained, Hey, this, this is something that you can do professionally just because you don't know about it. You know, we'll, we'll sit down and we'll talk about it. And um, this is how this life is kind of laid out and, you know, what all of these things that you can do and you don't have to pigeonhole yourself. It's not like Broadway or movies and, and them's, them's it, that's it. You know, uh, yeah, there's yeah, so yeah. much more to what it is to be an artist and a teacher and to create and um, not just being on stage. So, yeah. and I just love that so much. Yeah. Well, and, and Max, you know, it sounds like you had that impulse to go into education and now you're realizing that through. And look at that, right? I yeah, mean, right. I, yeah. I, I didn't plan on it. And, 
And sometimes I think my mother would still prefer if I were a teacher, right? Because she, but she also, you know, my dad was on the school board for many, many years. And although he'd never graduated high school, he was so invested in being a lifelong student um, because he just wanted to better himself all the time. And so what he, I, I, I just, I sense that both my parents just really respected and loved teachers so much. And they saw in me someone who was interested and deeply invested in something. And they thought, great, so go teach that and inspire others and do that. Mm -hmm. And they were sort of right, right? Like so much of, even though acting is, you know, we can think of it as like a selfish art form that we're just up there for ourselves. No, we're not. We're, I, I know firsthand we're not. You know, I worked at the Children's Theater long enough to, to, to do shows in front of 750 school children to know when, you know, adults know when to, you know, an, an audience full of adults knows how to be polite and how to watch and how to clap and how to whatever. But a, an audience full of five-year-olds, if they're not interested in you, they're turning around, they're looking for gum under their seat, they're talking to <laughs> <laughs> they don't care but to have 755 year olds zooming in on you and super fascinated and then watching them see their lives changing before their eyes i mean mm. that's real mm. and that's why mm. you bring young people to the theater is because you te it's the only tool we have as storytelling is how to teach people empathy and compassion and that's what we desperately need more of in our world mm. and so so it is all teaching right that's all any of us are doing is like storytelling is teaching you know, um, and... But we and, get to be in castles and wear fancy costumes. But we get to be in castles and have candle hands, right? <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. And then your seven-year-old niece thinks you're the coolest thing since sliced bread. That's pretty good. I'll take that. One oh. day she'll resent me, but not yet. <laughs> no, I bet that oh, yes. was so special for her. Oh, it, was so spe it was so special. Yeah, it was really special. <sighs> I'm really resonating as I'm listening with this because I too grew up in a small town out in North Dakota. And yeah, there we go. Small town uh, theater kids making good in the big city on That's old right. timey radio. You're listening. Mm. Oh, sorry. On. I have a friend who we used to say we are little kitties in the big cities. That's right. <laughs> well, and I and I was saying you're listening to Mouthing Off, a theater arts and culture podcast from Bad Mouth Theater Company on 94.1 FM Frogtown Radio here in beautiful St. Paul, Minnesota. Max Watanowitz. Max, can I call this episode uh, Max Watanowitz's Basket of Puppies? Yeah. Can I do that? <laughs> <laughs> yes, permission. I verbal signature. I love it. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, Perfect. we're we're coming we're coming into time here, Max. Uh, just at the very end here, and I'm I am going to have the the link to your website at the show notes at badmouthtc.com. Just tell people real quick again where where they can find you around town. Yeah. So maxwatanowitz.com is my website. You can find me on Instagram at maxwatimeisit. Um, uh, rhymes with my name. Think of it that way. Uh, next, you can see me <clears throat> um, in Hamlet at the Guthrie Theater on the Wordle Thrust stage, um, April and May. Uh, you'll also see me hosting a once a month um, show tune showcase called Musical Mondays at Lush, first Monday of most months uh, in Northeast. Dynamite, tremendous, and just so much fun. And Amanda, thanks for thanks for putting this together. Thanks for having uh, Max Absolutely. come on. And Matt, you go on, Amanda. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you so much, Max, for joining us. And everybody, 
uh, get out to um, the Guthrie, see the show, see Into the oh, Woods. Yeah. We have two Bad Mouth Theater Company members coming to support you. And we're so excited. And uh, yeah, there. 94.1 listeners. Let's go. Let's see you there. Yeah. All right. You're probably already in your car listening to this. So drive on over to the Guthrie, uh, go to the box office, pick up some tickets and come to the show. Theater is meant to be live. We do stuff online, but it really is meant to be live. And Max, this is an open door. We're going to do this show indefinitely. So if you have something to promote, you want to come on and talk about musical theater and uh, whether Shakespeare was real or not, you're welcome anytime. I would love to. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it so much, y'all. Cool. I'm going to go look up pictures of puppies in baskets now. Deal. Thank you.